0: Is global health policy institutionally ageist? That's the argument put forward in an analysis article recently published on the bmj.com. I'm Lader, analysis editor, and I'm joined now by one of the authors, Peter Lloyd Sherlock, Professor of Social Policy and International Development at the University of East Anglia. Peter, before we get on to your paper, can you set the scene for us? I think that there's generally an idea that the majority of the population over 60 live in high-income countries, but I understand that that's not the case.
1: No, in fact, that's not been the case since 1980, um, probably sometime actually in the late 1970s. Uh, And these days, more than um, two-thirds getting on for 70% of the global population who are aged 60 or above live in low- or middle-income countries, clearly very large numbers living in places like China and India, but also in many other parts of what people used to call the developing world. And in fact, more than half of people aged over 70 are living in those countries too.
0: That's interesting because there does seem to be a focus in global development agendas on infectious diseases and reproductive disorders rather than things like non-communicable diseases which affect older people um, and that doesn't really seem to reflect those changing demographic patterns.
1: Absolutely. Um, It's extremely striking uh, the focus which one can see particularly in uh, global funding um, in, in, in health which is extremely focused on infectious disease and mother and child health and reproductive health. Of course those are all extremely important things and I don't want to downplay their significance. Uh, But the fact remains that non-communicable diseases are now the leading causes of um, death in low- and middle-income countries and the leading causes of illness in low- and middle-income countries. Uh, But they remain to be uh, often considered um, conditions which are much more important in richer countries. And if they do affect people in low- and middle-income countries, they're seen as uh, conditions that mainly affect people who are relatively well-off. Um, And in fact, there's a vast amount of epidemiological evidence now, which shows that in fact, these are generalised epidemics, which affect people, you know, rich and poor, rural and urban, and people of all ages, including older people.
0: Thanks, Peter. That's a really useful summary. So let's now move on to discuss your paper where you describe how global health policy in general and the UN sustainable development goals more specifically are ageist. Can you talk us through some of the problems with those policies?
1: Yep, I'd be delighted to. Um, well, um, I, I imagine most of your listeners are familiar with the Sustainable Development Goals, which have replaced the MDGs, the Millennium Development Goals, as the overarching targets that the UN sets for, for the world to achieve over the next 15 years, so by 2030. Uh, and several of those refer to global health. The good news is, unlike the previous Millennium Development Goals, there are goals here that specifically relate to non-communicable disease. So, in a way, I guess I'm slightly contradicting myself in terms of their relative neglect. I still think they are relatively neglected in terms of funding and in terms of prioritization, but it's, it's very pleasing to see that at least they're included on the list, the rather long list, it has to be said, of Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and as part of that, there is a target to reduce, a very ambitious target, to reduce the number of deaths from NCDs, from non-communicable diseases, by 30% over 15 years, which is, as you can imagine, you know, even the UK, to try and reduce the total number of deaths from cancer, heart disease, stroke, those sorts of conditions by a third over the next 15 years is extremely ambitious. Um all of which is fine. I've got no problem with setting ambitious targets. Where I start to have a serious difficulty is that um, rather than talk about mortality in general for everybody in the population, they've restricted this to what they call premature mortality. And it's this concept of premature mortality that I consider to be explicitly ageist. Premature mortality refers to somebody dying before the age of 70. And I think that creates a number of problems firstly just in terms of introducing this concept into the, the lexicon of um, global health discourse it suggests that people who reach the age of 70 if they die that's not a premature death um, which I think is deeply problematic in many ways and it suggests that perhaps You know, people are almost ready to die at the age of 70, and that deaths beyond the age of 70 are are less of a priority and are less obviously preventable, which, of course, is patently not the case, particularly in many low- and middle-income countries where people die of uncontrolled hypertension because they don't even have access to very cheap generic medication. But the larger problem is that by having this target to reduce by a third over 15 years, very ambitious, the number of deaths... From non-communicable diseases among the under 70s sends out a very strong signal to all un member states the uk and everywhere else that they're going to really have to invest a lot of resource in people under the age of 70 to hit that age specific target and inevitably unless there's a massive increase in health expenditure which is very unlikely in most countries given the current fiscal climate of most countries means they will have to divert um, spending and resourcing away from people over the age of 70 to be able to achieve those goals and bear in mind that this is a target to be reached by 2030. So in fact um, you're looking at people who would be aged 70 in 2030, which means, in fact, what you're doing is you're discriminating against anybody over the age of 56 today in 2016.
0: Thanks, Peter. You've really clearly laid out how one could consider those policies to be ageist. Um, But what would you say to people who would put forward the fair innings argument, who would say that at some stage there has to be a cut off because you need that to allocate resources? Um, What would you say to that?
1: How would i respond to that well i would say firstly um i think um the main motto of the sustainable development goals is leave no one behind um which seems to uh, contradict this idea that we should um, simply concentrate resources on the younger population Uh, secondly of course there is um uh, the notion that um health is a fundamental universal right for everybody which is a you know a very important central tenet Um, of of, um, human rights, Um, the idea, you know, if you say, what what would a fair innings be? Um, In Japan, uh, you might want to set a fair innings which is considerably higher than in a poorer country. And fundamentally within all of that, I think there's a sense that it places a lower value on a year survived at an older age than at a younger age and suggests that perhaps older people have a much lower value in society which, again, I think just reflects this uh, a, a lot of ageist thinking. I mean, there seem to be two arguments which people who propose this approach put forward. Those two arguments are firstly that we simply don't have good data on the cause of death for people over the age of 70 in many parts of the world, and therefore we can't set a benchmark to say, well, how much progress will we or won't we make? But in fact, it's completely incorrect. It's completely fallacious. Um, In the majority of countries in the world, we actually do have pretty good cause-specific mortality data. The countries where we don't have good cause-specific mortality data for people over the age of 70 tend to be those countries where we don't have very good mortality data for people of any age. And of course, the other problem is that if you have this um, target, which excludes the over-70s, that then um, means there's no incentive to collect that data. So that's one argument that people often put forward. Um, A second argument is that, look, if we focus on the health needs of younger adults, ultimately that benefits people of all ages. And it's always better to intervene in somebody's health at an earlier point in their life course. And of course, broadly speaking, that's true. But the trouble is, as I mentioned before, the incentive effect, Of a target related to people aged 70 in 2030 if it's taken very seriously if it's taken literally is to include not just the under 70s today but people in their mid 50s today who will be over the age of 70 in 2030 I suppose the third one is that come on you know if we want to reduce mortality among the under 70s by a third over 15 years that's gonna cost an awful lot of money that's very ambitious imagine if we wanted to do that for absolutely everybody in the population My response to that is, well, maybe you should put forward a slightly more modest target, which refers to the entire population. So for example, you might say, let's reduce mortality by 20%. Um, That wouldn't mean you have to reduce mortality among the over 70s by 20%. But at least it would mean that they're not being discriminated against and not being excluded. So I think all the arguments that are put forward really are, are, are deeply problematic.
0: Okay, well, the Sustainable Development Goals have been agreed already. So, is there anything that can be done or that you would suggest needs to happen now in order to redress the balance?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think a couple of things. Firstly, um, fortunately, in the Sustainable Development Goals, they keep this concept of premature mortality. uh, but in a lower-level document for the SDGs where they then have to define specific indicators there was quite a lot of disagreement um, partly, largely due to uh, pressure from academics like myself and now they haven't actually defined what they mean as premature mortality. However, the reference um, document which the um, SDG committee are using um, is World Health Organization's um, main document on non-communicable diseases, their global action plan and their NCD control framework. And that continues to use this um, age 70 threshold. So what we now need to do, and I make a very open, I suppose, challenge or offer to the um, WHO's ADG, Assistant Director General, who's responsible for non-communicable diseases and mental health, I believe he's called Oleg Chesnov, to engage with me publicly to explain why they continue to use an explicitly ageist approach. They wouldn't do the same in terms of discriminating against people on the basis of their race, their sexuality, whether they're disabled or not. So why do they think it's okay to discriminate against people? they explicitly simply because they're aged over 70.
0: Peter, thanks so much for joining us. And that article, Institutional Ageism in Global Health Policy, is now available on thebmj.com.